Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. At the Nassau International Airport Departures Lounge the other day, my wife and I were waiting for our flight and we were having a cup of coffee at Dunkin' Donuts. We sat in a corner and while drinking my latte, I was reading my Newsweek magazine when a woman came to the table next to us with a breakfast sandwich and a cup of coffee. She sat and began to consume her breakfast. Well into her sandwich, I suddenly heard music and a male vocalist coming from her table. Apparently, as accompaniment to her breakfast, she had brought a tape recording of a church service, at least the music part of it. She was not exactly discreet with her music either. It was really a bit loud being so close to us all in a small restaurant area. But it wasn't terribly loud, and I guess, as my wife commented, it could have been worse. It might have been some unacceptable form of music that we really do not appreciate. When you come right down to it, she was really a bit inconsiderate to assume that we would not be disturbed by her music, or perhaps she felt that, since it was Christian music, we should hear it and maybe it would do us some good. I considered sending her a subtle message by starting up some of my own music in competition, but quickly changed my mind thinking that this would not be the right thing to do. So we chose to be entertained by this neighbor's choice of music while we finished our coffee. As we left to find our gate and I recall the experience, it occurred to me that the entire time we sat there, maybe 10-15 minutes, the man on the tape sang three lines the whole time. There were no other lyrics and the music was the same, repeated over and over and over and over again. He occasionally said a word or two, almost as a segue to the next verse, but then the next verse repeated the words that he'd sung countless times before. I assume this was some sort of church worship service from the sound of it, and the repetition perhaps was designed to lead people into a state of worship. The repeated words that he sang were about the church, over and over and over again, just the church. I guess this was meaningful to my neighbor, but it did nothing for me. She was obviously enthralled by the oft-repeated words and the repeated music because she let it play on and on and on. It was still repeating the church when we finally left. God is a God of diversity and differences. He's too big to be limited by my narrow thinking and limited appreciation of other people's musical selections. She was obviously content, so let her be happy, I guess. I obviously need something more, it seems, and I can always find it if I want to because I live in a free society and there are numerous opportunities out there to satisfy my personal needs. Jesus, hope of the nations Jesus, comfort for all who mourn You are the source of heaven's hope on earth 
Jesus, light in the darkness. Jesus, truth in each circumstance. You are the source of heaven's light on earth. In history, you lived and died. You broke the chains. You rose to life. You are the hope living in us. You are the rock in whom we trust. You are the light shining for all the world to see. for all who mourn. You are the source of heaven's hope on earth. Oh, Jesus, light in the darkness. Jesus, truth in each circumstance. You are the source of heaven's light. living for all who will 
mentioned that the artist, the singer, on my neighbor's tape sang monotonously using two words, the church, repeatedly. To me it was monotonous. To my neighbor she seemed quite happy to listen to it over and over again. I mentioned too that I probably needed more substance, more challenging lyrics, more appeal to get my mind and heart stimulated. For example, the Gaither sing a particular song that grabs me every time I hear it. Each time I rise to the words that stir my soul and respond to the message that they sing regarding the church, God's church, and it is a triumphant church. Listen as I share the lyrics of this tremendous and uplifting song with you. Let the church be the church. Let the people rejoice. Oh, we've settled the question. We've made our choice. Let the anthems ring out, songs of victory swell, for the church triumphant is alive and well. Is alive and well. And now with this message for today, here is our pastor, Alan Lee. Good morning and greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for tuning in to Echoes of Calvary once again. We really appreciate your listening to us and thank God for the opportunity. We trust that you might be blessed as a result. We are continuing with a series of messages of which this is the fifth on the topic, The Human Difference its impact upon the Christians dealing with the moral dilemmas of our day. Now, as previously stated, my thesis or proposition for the series is most, if not all, of the social and moral issues that challenge us today, whether recognized or not, are actually asking one underlining question. What is man, or to make it more personal, who am I as a human being? Is there a human difference. We are seeking to demonstrate the truth that the Christian or the theistic worldview provides a better basis and philosophy for living than other competing worldviews because of the awesome fact that we, human beings, are made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. It is my conviction that the understanding and living out of the inherent implications of this divine reality impacts our response as Christians to such moral dilemmas as abortion, stem cell research, euthanasia, ecology, animal rights, capital punishment, and same-sex marriage as well. Now, because of the current interest on this latter topic, same-sex marriage, we started to deal with this particular issue last time. I pointed out then that there are four major passages in the New Testament that deal with the essential aspects of the relation between men and women and shows light on human sexuality as designed by its creator. And we pointed out that each one of these texts appeals to the creation stories in Genesis 1 and 2 to establish the teaching, establishing the fact that God has not changed his mind concerning human 
sexuality since he created it in the Garden of Eden. The polarity of the sexes that reflects the Imago Deo is still God's design and intention today, regardless of what sciences has contributed to our way of life. It has not and cannot change what God has permanently established as the bedrock of humanity made in his image. Now, last time, we looked in detail at the first passage, Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 to 9, which is repeated in Mark chapter 10, verses 2 to 9. Now, time does not allow us to review that message. However, if you are interested in hearing it, I invite you to go to our website, www.calvarybible.org.bs and check on the Echoes of Calvary messages. It would be the most recent one, I believe. When one really studies the biblical and theological meaning of marriage, it would be readily discovered that the issue of same-sex marriage is really more about the nature of marriage itself than it is about sexual preference. If one understands what marriage is and the divine purpose of marriage, the issue as to who is legitimately eligible to participate in it is not a factor at all. The answer comes by default in understanding the true nature or essence of marriage itself. I remind you again, marriage is not merely a human invention. It was established and ordained by God himself. He was and is the creator and designer of this first human institution ever to be established for the benefit of man, for the glory of God. Surely then, if we want to know the what, the why, and the how of marriage, we should look first at his manual for marriage, and that, of course, is the word of God that we call the Bible. Now, when you do so, you will immediately discover that there is a divinely created unity from the polarity of the sexes when joined in marriage that cannot be realized in the union of two individuals of the same sex. One reflects the image of God. That is, one union reflects the unity of God. The other distorts, if not destroys, that image altogether. And so I say again, from a biblical perspective, same-sex marriage distorts and destroys the Imago Dei, the image of God in man. But let's turn now to do a brief exposition of the second major passage of Scripture that deals with human sexuality, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. Let me read that passage for you. All things are lawful for me, says the Apostle Paul, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now, God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a harlot is one body with her? For God says, 
the two will become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. So flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. End of quote. Now, historically, Paul had to contend with an immature group of Christians in the church at Corinth. They considered it perfectly legitimate for a man to hire the services of a prostitute in their culture. You see, this was, in fact, a part of the culture of this then very corrupt city. In fact, one of the most debasing things could be said of a person at that time was that he was Corinthianized, meaning that he was an immoral as the Corinthians were. But notice carefully now Paul's uncompromising no to prostitution, even religious prostitution, which was rampant in the city by the pagans. Again, though Paul grounds or bases his appeal on the creation of Adam and Eve. He says, Do you not know that whoever is united to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is said, and this is the basis for his argument, the two shall be one flesh. That's Genesis 2.24. But anyone united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. That's verse 16 of our passage. Now, in contrast to the Corinthian party, which considers sexual activity to be a purely biological function, comparable to the digestive process as described in verse 13, Paul argues with the creation narrative that the physical union of a man and a woman establishes a bond in which their very cells, their personhood, are involved, analogous to the bond between a member of Christ and the Lord himself. And so here's the awesome truth, my friends, that Paul is emphasizing, a truth that should determine how a person, especially a Christian, should live his or her life. Notice carefully, the uniqueness of the one flesh union of two polarized sexes, male and female, is once more emphasized by the apostle. In other words, human sexuality is grounded in the essence of the image of God. The apostle appeals to the Genesis record to establish that fact. God has not changed his mind since he created them, male and female, in his image. That was the same truth he emphasized in the first passage we studied. But now, let's turn again to our third passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 through 16. Now, this is an extended passage, so I encourage you to please read it yourself at your leisure. This is also a very controversial passage, but not because of its teaching on marriage, but, it, but because of what it teaches about head covering, which is, in fact, not the main focus of the teaching and which is often overlooked. On the surface, on a practical level, the section deals with the question of hairstyle and headdress during communal worship, when we gather to worship, especially to observe the Lord's Supper. 
but even for any worship service. However, it is clear that the primary concern here of the apostle is to maintain the distinctiveness between the male and female in their worship and ministry. It appears that women were cutting their hair in a fashion usual for men, and they discarded a headdress identifying them as women. Paul argues for a retention of the custom, not in order to endorse a hairstyle and a dress fashion, but either to counter or to refute the claim that the difference between male and female is no longer valid in the new creation, as some of them seem to have been suggesting. Or he simply wanted to present that fact as a new revelation to these immature believers. So to accomplish this purpose, Paul appeals extensively to the creation story and the inherent imago Dei in humanity as represented by the polarity of the sexes, male and female, the distinctiveness of the sexes, male and female. He teaches then, first, that man brings glory to God as the female brings glory to the man. That's in verse 7, and he is alluding to Genesis 1.27 here. Second, he teaches that woman was made from man, and in order to complement man who, without woman, would be alone and without help to fulfill God's purpose for him. That's verses 7 and 8, referring to Genesis 2, verses 18 through 24. And third, the apostle teaches that man and women are codependent on each other, woman coming out of man, but man also coming out of woman, as verses 11 and 12. Again, alluding back to Genesis 1 and 12. And so the point of Paul's argument, and please listen carefully to this now, the point of Paul's argument is that faith in Christ, which makes us a new creation, does not eliminate the essential difference of male and female as originally designed by the Creator. Human sexuality, male and female, remains intact as instituted by God in the Garden of Eden. He has not changed his mind or purpose. The practice of the women at Corinth was distorting the uniqueness of this truth. They were not reflecting the Amago Dei in their worship. They were not showing what God was like, and therefore he was not being glorified in the worship. Now, biblically speaking, homosexuality and same-sex marriage do the same thing. They distort the image of God in humanity, both male and female. In the words of James, when he warns Christians about cursing others who are made in the image of God, he said, these things ought not to be. The same thing applies for homosexuality and same-sex marriage. These things ought not to be because they actually are a slap in the face of a God who created man and woman in his image. Unfortunately, our time is gone for today. So we will look at the other passage dealing with this vital issue next time. Until then, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. Break the easy.
You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. There forevermore to stay. The great commander's promise He will surely come again I am listening every moment For the mighty trumpet sound What a time we'll have together When the saints shall leave the ground And our toiling will be happen in a moment Jesus Christ could come again I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound what a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and our toiling will be in a moment Jesus Christ could come again